0: Psalm 143, Psalm, that was my sustenance past few weeks and months. My daily Psalm that I was singing, not singing, praying to God in my own bed. So my desire is that you will learn this Psalm, pray this Psalm when things get hard. And I am going to talk about some of the lessons that I've learned from this text, but let us read it first. Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, For in your sight, no man living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, all. I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you, I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Amen. That's right, so I've been thinking about this text when I was spending weeks after weeks in my own bed. And I want to draw your attention to the highlighted verses today. I don't know how many, really. Uh, lessons that I'm going to talk about from this psalm. But last week we talked about very first verse and we move on to the second verse. And he says this, Do not enter into judgment with your servant. That's him. For in your sight, no man living is righteous. However you want to define prayer, and as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian, when situation is dire, that you will cry out. I've read some not all but some of David's psalms this week, but I would say this would be one of the most uh, severe psalms where we don't know the details of the situation, but he is in a deep trouble. Before he asks God to save him and deliver him, though verse 1, he said, hear my prayer. Immediately, verse 2 talks about, do not enter into judgment with your servant. However you want to define prayer, prayer is intentionally drawing near to God who is infinitely holy and righteous. As soon as you open your mouth, or even if you're not doing that in your head, as you seek to pray to that God, living and true God, You are in His presence. When you are in His presence, and when you are drawing or going into His presence in prayer, the first thing that comes to your mind before any request could be made known to God is that you are sinful and small. That's the first thing that grips you. If you are praying for some of the inconsequential things like, Lord, should I eat Big Mac or Whopper, something like that, then you will not feel it. Whatever level, let's say one through 10, if you are suffering especially, whatever that affliction is, eight, nine, 10 level suffering, and you really need to talk to God, and you really need to plead your case before the Lord, your attitude of prayer is totally different from your normal prayer. When you are given a bad news, let's say something like cancer, I am telling you, that will change your attitude completely as to how you would approach God and what you would say because it is a life or death situation. Most of the times, most of our prayers are casual because nothing is at stake. But when something real is at stake, I am telling you, you are going to have a right attitude. And when you enter into His presence, what strikes you is how sinful and small you are in comparison to this God you are talking to. So in our afflictions, as we draw near to God to pray, we fear. That's the first thing. You are fearful. First of all, you are fearing. What if this is God's judgment? What if this is God sending His wrath down upon my life for the things that I've done, the sins that I've committed? That we're, I'm telling you, that's the first thing that you will think about. So you scrutinize your life. What have I done wrong? What did I do to deserve this kind of bad news? So before long, you will seek God's mercy and grace, and that's what David is doing in verse 2. Before he could say, That is my problem. I need this from you. What he says is, do not enter into judgment with your servant. He just wants to make sure I am sinful man. And I have no right to ask you to deliver me from this situation. I cannot figure out why I'm in this situation. I don't know why these people are pursuing me to kill me. But one thing I am pleading right now is that don't enter into judgment with your servant. Not right now. Maybe after you deliver me, but not right now. And, and as I was reading this, and I told you how I was led to this song, piece of psalm, from reading Richard Baxter's book. And I think for me it was a providential leading of God to this text. And as soon as I read verse 2, I knew my heart was attached to verse 2 because I was saying the same thing. Whatever sins that I've committed, maybe I deserve this, but Lord, not right now. Not at this time. I can't deal with my issues. So not your wrath, not right now. If I deserve it, maybe a couple of months later. And David is doing that. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight, no man, no man living is righteous. What can you do about that? Bible says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? No, they can't. We are sinful. And you need to talk to God. What can you do about that? We cannot scrub ourselves. We cannot bleach our sins. You cannot run away even from God's all-seeing eyes. That is why verse 2 is pointing to. And we, the Christians, are blessed to know only those of us who are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ can pass over verse 2. Nobody else no one has no other religions could pass over verse 2 we have learned from the shorter catechism very good definition it could be technical and if you are young you probably wouldn't understand what that word means what is justification as we have tried to recite it that's your only hope God pardons all our sins and accepts us righteous in His sight. For the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. That's your hope and our hope. If nobody is righteous in God's sight, if that's the end, then nobody could approach God and nobody could ask anything from God because God, as soon as God opens his eyes, he's going to squash you. So what I am saying is justification is not a mere doctrine. Justification is not simply a piece of theology. It is not. Justification is your relationship with this infinitely holy and righteous God. Justification is the key that unlocks the doors all the way back to the throne of God. If you don't have it, you'll be like a person. Past few weeks, you have seen the news. I just cannot figure out what the obsession is with the British monarchy. You have seen everywhere. And his name, interestingly, is Charles III. If you know anything about Westminster Confession of the history, everything began because of Charles the First. Charles the Second, 1660, after the Restoration, he killed all this Puritan movement. Effectively Puritan movement dies in 1660 by the Charles the Second. And now we have Charles the Third, somewhere over there. If you would approach the Buckingham Palace, right in front of the gate, you go there, you fly today, you go there and you start screaming his name. Charles, come to me. I have something to say to you. Why would he? Why should he? What are you to him? Who is he to you? You see, that's like most of people. Who are you to God? And what is he to you? And if you could boast anything about your relationship, you'll boast in Christ for your status as sinner justified by the righteousness of Christ. So that door will be open to you. The heavenly door will be open to you because now you are robed. You're a beggar. But you are robed in the righteousness of Christ. You have that robe. And you have name of Christ. And you go to that palace of God. There are guards, but each door will be unlocked as you approach that throne with the name of Christ. That's justification. Do not enter into judgment with your servant right now. No man living is righteous. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of us are righteous in his sight. That's the good news. If you were to ask me, did King David, I don't know if he was a king at this time when he wrote this, I don't know if he was a shepherd boy, I don't know what he was, who he was, where he was, but if you were to ask me, did King David know about justification? Did he know something about Jesus? Jesus. Or was he in despair in verse 2, and he has some kind of Old Testament religion? If you were to ask me, I would ask you to turn to book of Acts chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, that's Peter preaching, and he says this, Brothers, I am confidently... I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and in his tomb he is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, did you hear that? According to Peter, David was not simply a shepherd or giant killer, or he was the King David, but he was a prophet. What does prophet do? They Foretell something. They foresee something. They predict something in the name of God. And according to Peter, s- spokesperson of God, he says, he was a prophet. Normally we don't think of David as a prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, yes. David is just king. But because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath, to set one of the fruit of his body on his throne. That's Messiah. Acts 2 verse 31 says this. He, that's David, He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither forsaken to Hades, nor did he his flesh see corruption. Peter's talking about Psalm 16. David, if anybody, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ when he wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Psalm 16. Maybe not minute details of Christ's resurrection, but he knew something of Christ and his resurrection. So if you were to ask me, did David know something about coming resurrection? Something about righteousness that is found somewhere else, not in man, not in keeping of the law, because nobody is able. I would say yes. Let me ask you: Are you justified? That if that's a too big of a word, do you know Christ? Are you a Christian? You know something about the blood of Christ shed and forgives your sins in the name of Christ? Then you and I can confidently go over verse 2. It is true. But only through Christ's righteousness you and I could go all the way to the foot of the throne of God and plead for mercy there. That's what you and I Half. Let me talk about the second half of what I have in mind today. The highlighted section in verse 8 and verse 10. Look with me. It's in the second half of this chapter, but because it ties to verse 2, I will talk about this today. In the midst of whatever trial that he was in and he was going through, verse 8, he says this in the middle of it, Teach me the way in which I should walk. Teach me. Teach me the way. Look at verse 10. Teach me to do your will. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. One of the hallmarks of David's psalms, if you read David's Psalms, is that there is a sudden change of tune or mood in his psalm, oftentimes. There's despair in the beginning, but sudden change to praise, from dust to glory from minor tune to major tune. And that change, the shift of that change is so sudden often, you don't understand what, what is going on in his mind. But one of those hallmarks, there are many, of David's psalms is that you'll often find in the trial psalms that there is his deep desire to know and obey the law of God. That is a unique feature of David's Psalms. If I give you 10 Psalms to pick out David's Psalms without giving you numbers, you could pick pick them out. You find that often, and often that baffled me. Teach me the way in which I should walk. Teach me to do your will. Why? Why would he say that? Let me give you some of the examples. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. So he is dealing with his enemies. But in verse 4, 25, 4 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. There's enemy. But he says, make me know your ways. Teach me your ways. Psalm 27. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me. And verse 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord. This is David's psalm. Psalm 40 that Elder Tom read last yesterday. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my inner being. Psalm 86, another prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord. Answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Very similar to our psalm today. Be gracious to me. And in verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Again, you see, that's the pattern. It didn't make sense to me why he would often scream, teach me your way, O Lord, when he is dealing with his enemies. But this time I understood because I was saying the same thing. If you could be honest, in your affliction, you want to stand before God through his mercy. And as soon as that is granted in the name of Jesus Christ, you make your request be made known to God in thanksgiving. But as you are doing that, you are also making promises. If you will let me out of this trouble, I will obey you. I will live my life according to your plan. I will do everything that you want me to do. Don't tell me I was the only one who was praying this past few weeks and months. Greater the affliction, the greater your appeals to God, promises to God. God, if you get me out of this trouble, I will do this. And in order for you to do that, you say, like David, Teach me to do your will, O Lord. Obviously, David knew. David was a man after God's own heart, and I told you about that, the right translation of it last Sunday. He is already a holy man. He was a prophet. He was a good man, godly man. But we understand in those times of his need there's a heightened desire for that holy man and righteous man to righteous man to cry out all the more teach me your way o oh lord i will do your will i will obey so we learn that the affliction is great sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is. But the Holy Spirit uses the affliction because when you have an affliction, you know, when, I really haven't been sick in my life, in my adult life. But if you, let's say, have some kind of affliction that is not going away, that affliction is a great noise cancellation device. Everything disappears. Whatever you think about your future plans, forget about it. Whatever's gripping you, forget about it. Whatever your hobby is, you could forget all about that. Affliction cancels out every noise in your life. There's only you and God. And you finally realize what the life is all about. And how you've been wasting your life. How your dedication to the Lord was so weak and low. You think a lot about that. But how often, as soon as the heat is off, the pressure is off, how often do we immediately forget about God? Luke 17 talks about that kind of incident in Jesus' life. Jesus healed ten, ten lepers. Only one comes back to give thanks to him. And he says this, Were there not ten cleansed, But the nine, where are they? Jesus is also baffled. He is disappointed. And we are like one of those nine lepers. We cry out, have mercy on me. And as soon as God grants that mercy, we never come back to God. And you and I, we all have experienced that we promised a lot to God. But we never went back to God to fulfill those vows and and you say to, to yourself and even to god i know in deepest uh, in my deepest heart i know i may not fulfill all those vows and God will be disappointed again and again and there's no point asking god this time because i know he would he knows i will betray me uh, he, he betray him things like that Then we learn who God is. God is not like you. If God were like us, God would have struck us down. But according to the scriptures, this is who God is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So toward the end, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You may betray him ten times, but he will not deal with you according to your offenses, because he is great in his loving kindness. He is more patient, more loving, and more kind than we could ever imagine. So you and I could always come back to him like a protocol son, You run out of your money. You're living with the pigs. And you go back to him. He will accept you because his loving kindness is great. How great? So great is his loving kindness. So there really shouldn't be any fear for us. You repent of your sins and you go back to God and you fulfill your vows to God and we learn that the affliction is great sanctifier there is no time in your life i don't think any of us are tuned that way when things go well when you are successful when you are healthy, you don't realize these things. You do not think about God's will. But when God allows these things come to our lives, we can figure out everything about that, but one of the reasons must be that He desires your audience in his presence. You've been running away too far from his presence. You've been doing the minimums all the time and you thought that was enough. And when you could cry out to God like David, teach me the way in which I should walk. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. God does not say, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to try to make the deal with me, he will not say. But as a loving father, he will embrace you. And all those moments are precious moments because each and every time you and I grow into the image of Christ through affliction. I will end with Calvin. This week. I was reading uh, two weeks ago, I went back for the first time in my basement. I was out all spring, from February. but I cleaned it out basement, and I was sat down again. And I've been reading some of the stuff that I missed. I picked up as if I've been la- I- I'm learning a new tricks or new things about the ministry. I picked up Spurgeon's lectures to my students. I'm reading chapter by chapter, retune to recalibrate my life and my ministry slowly. And also, I went back to. Calvin's third book, those five chapters in the third book of his institute that is known as the little book on Christian life. Um, There he says something like this and I'll end with this quote. There's nothing really new in Calvin. It's like drinking water. Let every one of us Go so far as his humble ability enables him. Let us never cease to do, that we may daily advance in the way of the Lord. Labor, our labor is not lost when today is better than yesterday. Provided with true singleness of mind, we keep our aim and aspire to the goal, but making it our constant endeavor to become better until we attain to goodness itself. If during the whole course of our life we seek and follow, we shall at length attain it, when we lived from the infirmity of flesh, we are admitted to full fellowship with God. That's a good advice, nothing new. But keep on doing what you've been doing. I think we all have rooms to grow. Let us depend on the righteousness of Christ. Your God is more merciful than you could ever imagine. He does not close his doors to you. How delightful would it be to our father's ears when one of his children would cry out, before you ask anything from God, do this, do that deliver me save me if you could say with david teach me your ways o oh lord i will obey if god is our father and if you are a father or mother what would you do to your child who is crying out to you our heavenly father would be pleased And that's our hope. And let us go to our God each and every time, trusting in Christ's righteousness and our God's loving kindness. Let's pray.